We are in our second week of a new sermon series called Living Faith. I'm going to say that again. Did you hear me? <laughs> that was my fault. Not Aaron's fault. We're in our second week of a sermon series called Living Faith. Hope you remember that from last week. We're considering what it means for us to have and to hold to a faith that is true and strong based on the fact that it shows in our daily lives. In particular, as Pastor Nancy pointed out last week to get us started in this series, genuine faith produces what? You know what? I, every time I come up and preach, I'm always going to reference the sermon from last week. Just a heads up, every time you come in, before you come into worship, remember what we talked about last time, okay? Genuine faith produces... Uh, it, it does, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Genuine faith produces change, right? Say yes. <laughs> okay, good. Something should and ought to happen as we put our faith into action. That's change. Something should change about us as we put our faith into action. It changes us. It changes the people around us. And although the circumstances of our lives may not change, our faith changes the way we handle them. And we are using the book of James as a guide along with looking at John Wesley's three general rules. And again, Pastor Nancy shared them last week. I'll share them again. Do no harm. Do good. And I love the third one. I love the law, but I love the third one. Stay in love with God. Those are the three, Wesley's three general rules. Today, we're going to look at the first of those general rules, doing no harm, especially as it's tied to the things that we say. And as you have already heard, as Roger read it, James has a lot to say about the tongue. You have heard it said, I'm sure, that it is not what you say, but how you say it that matters most. Have you heard that before? I respectfully disagree. What you say does matter as much as how you say it. I agree with James in verse 2, as he explains the importance of what and how we speak. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. I think it's a statement of how important James thinks our mouths are when it comes to our faith, our genuine faith. On a windswept hill in an English country courtyard, there stands a gray slate tombstone, and the etching on it reads as follows. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who, on the 24th of May, began to hold her tongue. Poet William Edward Norris commented on this. If you, your lips would keep from slips five things observed with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. Sisters and brothers, what we say matters. Everything we say goes in one direction or another. 
As James said, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Our words carry great power, and that power can devastate and damage or uplift and encourage, and they do either in an instant. And the only one who can make the decision of using your words to bless or curse is you every time you speak. Is there any more important area for us to live into Wesley's first general rule of doing no harm? James said that the tongue controls every other part of our bodies, including the heart. I think you'd agree with me. One can know what is in a person's heart just by what they say. Very recently, we've all seen the images of uh, these protests of the war on the news. What concerns me most about those protests is not the images that we see. It's the words. It's the sentiment that is being espoused during them. And it's not just by protesters, right? It's by politicians, it's by other people in power. It's, I think it's a glaring example of how the tongue can be used to harm others rather than to build them up. We all have opinions, but that's not the main problem. It's how we sometimes express those opinions that hurts instead of heals. From what we feel about the war in the Middle East to our opinions about others, about our church, and about our communities. Each time we open our mouths, we have the choice to communicate a blessing or a curse. What ought, we ought to choose. Each one of us ought to choose to do no harm, and we should start with what we say. The context in which James encourages his listeners to do no harm is in regard to false teaching. It's the reason he actually writes the letter. And the admonition is directly to those who choose to teach, especially those who teach regarding faith and the things of God. It's a clear warning to pastors and others in the line of work pastors are in. What both pastors say to you this morning carries great weight and is subject to God's scrutiny. And so we take this job very seriously. But each one of us, not just pastors, each one of us has a mouth. And as I said several weeks ago, when we talked about everybody tell somebody, I said your mouth is not just a food portal, right? Why not choose to use your words to bless and to do no harm. So the first challenge we want to share is for you to identify where you are using your words, what you say, that result in anything less than to bless and encourage. Parents, what kind of words are you using with your children? Youth, and children, do your words speak respect and obedience? 
Spouses, do your words encourage or discourage? In the workplace, do you choose words that support the company and your fellow co-workers? In the church, do you complain or do you contribute by what you say? Even when you disagree and want to prove a point, are you choosing your words carefully? Every time a word is spoken, we have the opportunity to do no harm. James encourages believers that we all make mistakes when it comes to what we say, but that for the Christian, for each one of us, the goal is to speak words of life. How are you doing in this area?
They're like the young man who supposedly went to the great Greek philosopher Socrates to learn oratory. On being introduced, he talked incessantly, so much so that Socrates asked for double fees. Well, why charge double, said the young fellow, because, said the orator Socrates, I must teach you two sciences. The one is how to hold your tongue, and the other is how to speak. How you use your words and how you show them is how you express love and care. As a pastor, I constantly see the importance of expressing compassion and love to someone who is hurting. When I say, I am sorry, I say it in a compassionate way and offer a hug. When I offer a prayer for someone, I use words that speak to their personal situation in a compassionate way. And when I write a personal note on the prayer letters that we send out, I speak to their need and concern and often offer them a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on. I've been going out of my way to speak kindly to everyone, including strangers, and to sharing compliments freely. You can actually see how much it means to have someone speak in a compassionate and caring way and to show an interest in them. Just yesterday, I was getting, I was in line to pay for my groceries at Giant, and the uh, cashier seemed to be having a difficult day, and I said something to him about it. He said, we don't have enough people to help. He said, I haven't had a break all day, and I just did everything I could to affirm what he was doing and to um, just, you know, help in whatever way I could. And I also make a point of genuinely thanking people all the time for what they're doing. Saying thank you and sincerely meaning it speaks volumes. Do no harm. Remember, it's not only what you say that means the most. It's also how you say that has a tremendous impact. Your tone of speech can harm or heal. It can show hate or love. It can create fear or trust. Your expression can cause a frown or a smile. It makes such a difference how you say what you say. Make sure how you speak shows empathy and compassion and does no harm. Once again, do no harm. That's the first of Wesley's three general rules. What you say and how you say it are equally important. There is one final aspect of the power of the tongue that is critical to note today, I think. Another saying you have heard is that actions speak louder than words, right? Well, that's true, but I'd like to put a spin on that. Not only do actions speak louder than words, silence often speaks louder than words. 
And let me see if I can explain this to you. Once again, I think that can go one of two ways. The first way, silence speaks louder than words, is that saying nothing at all is sometimes better than saying anything. Right? Especially if the reason for your silence is in recognizing the power of your words. Secondly, not saying something when you should say something speaks volumes and not necessarily good volumes. Depending on who you are, maybe whether you're naturally more inclined to speak or to stay silent, or whether you are more extroverted or introverted, silence can be a good or a bad thing. It's a good thing when you realize your words would do more damage than help. But it's not such a good thing if you stay silent when words are needed. When what you believe requires a defense, when someone else needs a defense, or when some aspect of the gospel needs to be spoken and the name of Jesus needs to be heard. And I'm sure you would agree with me after what we talked about for a month previous, that the name of Jesus needs to be heard much more often than it is now. Just another friendly reminder that belief comes by hearing, which means someone has to speak it first. Nevertheless, silence sometimes speaks louder than words for good or for ill. Again, the choice is ours. Our tongues can do both, not just by speaking, but also by being still. A young lady once said to John Wesley, I think I know what my talent is. Wesley said, tell me. She replied, I think it's to speak my mind. And Wesley said, I do not think God would mind if you bury that talent. <laughs> On the flip side, sometimes we become complicit in our silence. Consider when some kind of injustice occurs. Do we stand up and speak against it, or do we let it ride and keep our mouths closed? When someone at work speaks a racially insensitive or sexist comment, or a personal insult, or takes the name of Jesus in vain, do we correct in truth or stay complicit? That is, to agree with the injustice by our silence. Whether to speak or not to speak is sometimes difficult to navigate. And again, just a reminder from James, we all make mistakes in this area. We're not going to get it right 100% of the time. But if we will fully understand the scripture for today and the power of the tongue, we know that we have a choice to do no harm by what we say or by what we do not say. Julia Seymour writes about James 3. We know that words hurt more than most sticks and stones. We remember words long beyond when a bruise would have healed 
and many of us hold on to hurtful words far longer than we do compliments, which we hesitate to accept. Church should be a place where words do not hurt, where we use phrases to build up and to heal. Our tongues should be instruments of peace, joy, and reconciliation, not tools of destruction and discord. Words travel quickly in community. We must all work together and pray for one another to be sure that our words are part of the work God is doing here. I would add only this to her statement, that the truth she writes and the truth of the scripture this morning be evident not only in our church, but in our homes and our neighborhoods, indeed in every relationship there is or will be. We have the power to use our words for blessing or cursing, to build up or to break down. John Wesley made it clear as if we wouldn't agree, do no harm. There are so many ways to follow this rule, but perhaps the most accessible way we can do no harm is to be careful with our words and to use our silence for good depending on the situation. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. What we say is just as important as how we say it, and well-placed silence can also be a wise use of your tongue when called for. I'll close with this. Remember that genuine faith produces what? Change. That our words carry great capacity to bless. The internet tells us that the average person speaks, at the very least, 7,000 words a day. That's 7,000 opportunities, sisters and brothers, to bless and not to curse, to do no harm. If you want to share a living faith, and I'm pretty sure you do, Simply choose it by what you say, how you say it, and if you say it. Speak words of life. Amen.